You're listening to the 2D10 Podcast. Thank you, Rachel, for joining me on this very special pre-pack, pre-move podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, so just for people listening, if I sound really echoey, that's because this room is an empty void now, and I'm talking to you from the ether. So, um, Rachel, um, we had the opportunity to do something really cool the other day um, that's kind of um, new for both of us, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, uh, new for me anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's still it's still relatively new for me. Um, and it's also new for me because I always enjoy playing with a new storyteller, someone that's not like got... 10 years of being jaded by the game. So um, I always enjoy that because I feel like those are often the best games because they are usually more like imagination focused. So anyways, um, let's not beat around the bush. Um, the You decided to run like a, like a one shot um, Vampire the Masquerade game. True. Yeah. I decided to run a one shot of V5. Um, vampire fifth edition um and i originally wanted to do this for a friend of mine who expressed an interest and i think like she was like oh i'm interested in this you've been talking about it for so long uh and like finally i was like oh my god we could we should totally play you should play all that stuff and i think she kind of thought she was doing me a favor for my birthday (laughs) i was like okay for my birthday present to you i will play this game that you won't shut up about i was like cool so I decided that I was going to run this one shot and I created um, characters from V5 and I recruited you and another friend of ours to play in the game as well. And uh, it was a, uh, it was pretty fun. It was a fun yeah. learning experience. I think everybody had a pretty good time. I, I definitely felt like it was really enjoyable. Um, let me ask you from the perspective of, um, I know you, you have done a tiny, tiny bit of like game running before. Um, mm-hmm. but like as a, as a new storyteller or like someone new to, um, you know, just tabletop gaming in general in that regard, um, mm-hmm. what were, what were some of like the, um, like big, um, walls that stood in your way? Like what were some of the concerns you had, if, if any, um, you know, cause I don't really know a lot about your process individually as a storyteller. All I know is like my own perspective. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, so do you specifically, do you mean just me kind of putting myself out there to be a storyteller in the first place or yeah. my process, like just roadblocks for V5 or whatever. Uh, like that. And like, um, just creatively, um, I don't necessarily mean the game cause every game is going to have like the big roadblock, which is rules and <laughs> learning and understanding like how the, the game's rules work. But, um, sure. you know, for, for those of us that are like used to playing, you know, more involved, uh, board games, like somebody usually reads the rules and then, you know, we all kind of disseminate them to each other. But with storytelling, there's a whole creativity aspect to it. You know, there's like actually making the story. So, um, for you, you know, what was that process like? Did you have a story going in that you kind of thought about, or was it something that happened secondary to you going, I want to run this game? So, um, it kind of developed organically. Like I had, uh, well, I guess like I, I wanted to have a story. Um, 
that uh, my friend could play in and that we could maybe accomplish a small goal in because I knew it was going to be a one shot. It wasn't going to be a campaign. So I, I wanted to have a, I had a goal in mind for something for us to get done by the end of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I, I knew I wanted it to take place in Chicago because that's the environment I'm most familiar with at the moment. And there's a ton of really good source material for Vampire from Chicago, um, the new Chicago by Night, and then all of the source books that came after um, from the Kickstarter doing so well, I think, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a, a lot of areas where there was tons of inspiration and I took a lot of the burden of work off of me to kind of think up everything because right. so much of the lore already existed in the city. Um, I was able to kind of like flip through those books and get some ideas and inspiration just for NPCs, but also things I could do around Chicago. And there were um, a lot of pretty good modules in some of those books as well that I didn't take advantage of, but in retrospect, I kind of wish I should, or I kind of think I should have. Um, But um, yeah, I think the, the big learning I had was um, so coming at this as being exclusively a player of vampire, the masquerade um, I've always developed my characters to be very story driven which i think is kind of the the goal when you're creating characters is like you think of a backstory and then you build your player character based off of what makes sense for that backstory Mm -hmm. right so you kind of think about like who this person was and then you think about how they were embraced and you know the clan of of their sire factors into that sometimes sometimes a certain clan will be drawn to a certain type of person. And maybe you've written a person who is particularly attractive to a Toreador or a Bruja or a La Sombra or, you know, whatever. Right. right? Um, and so I've, I feel like I'm really, really, really good at developing interesting characters. And when I develop those characters, I kind of use the whole story to inform what I put on the sheet within the confines of what, what I'm able to give it the, metrics of how you build a character right yeah. dots and the point allocation etc whatever um and that's how i approached it this time for this one shot i built three i think pretty interesting and dynamic characters yeah. with really rich backstories that i was able to summarize and get down into two consumable pages of both just their backstory of who they were as a person who they were as a vampire that incorporated their embrace who their major contacts were in the city and some interesting things about those people who would have given them maybe the players kind of goals in mind to have for the evening. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm actually pretty proud of myself that I got all that information in just two, two pages. Um, Cause I wanted you, I didn't want you guys to have to do homework to play the game. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, like I, I did a really good job. I think of that, what I failed to do well, And what I can improve on in the future is if I'm building characters for a chronicle or a one-shot, but a one-shot specifically, I need to think about what the goal is and the story first that I want to empower these characters to do and think backwards from that and then write the characters and develop their sheets rather than what I did, which was like I had a rough idea of some things I could do in the story And then I spent a lot of time detailing these characters and, you know, developing their sheets. But then what I, what I did was, was I 
built the sheets in such a way that it made it very challenging for those characters to accomplish some of the goals they needed to accomplish. Because what I ended up doing was, was building three really social characters. And then at the end of the day, only one of the three actually had enough of the skill set necessary to do some of the things that were required for the evening. I could get into more detail if you want, but yeah, basically I think a big thing um, that I needed to learn that I need more experience with is like, if I'm going to be a storyteller, you know, thinking about, okay, this is the story I'm trying to tell. And then whether I'm building the characters or players are building their own characters, I need to have a little bit of oversight of like, okay, well, are you actually building characters that can play effectively in this game? Right. You know, that's, that's, and so I, I, I didn't do a good enough job of making the coterie for the evening um, very inc- well-rounded enough to accomplish all of the goals that needed to be accomplished. So yeah. that was kind of like the one thing I was like, eh, maybe that kind of sucked a little bit and was frustrating at points for players. And I think personally, um, just based on my experience, um, (laughs) the concept of going through the player character introduction and then, you know, establishing all of the important plot points and then like actually role playing and getting through the scenario. I think that is a very tall um, task. That's, that is a hard thing to do for anyone. I honestly think that, um, you know, just again, based on my experiences, I think while running a Chronicle is really difficult, so is running a a one shot, but I think running a Chronicle is actually easier for a new storyteller than trying to cram everything into one session. But I admire that you did it. Um, and, you know, it's it's not even something that I would I would ever take on lightly. Um, so I think you did a great job in that regard. And I, again, mentioning the characters that you made, I think you made really, really great three-dimensional characters. I think that that was awesome. Um, one of the things for me, though, which, um, you know, I, I wasn't really even, like, super aware of at the time, was that, you know, your friend really didn't have like any knowledge of the game whatsoever. And so it it was very interesting to, um, to experience that. Cause truth be told, I I don't really experience that too much anymore. Like just about everyone I've ever played with has some, you know, at least cursory knowledge of, of the world. So it's, it's interesting to me to see how you as a storyteller were able to, um, you know, work your way through the linguistic challenges of the world and still present a story to the player that she was really, you know, in, engaged with. Um, so is that like a skill that you have, you know, like how, how are you able to do that? Um, well, I can't take all the credit because the new player who um, I don't think she would mind if I mentioned her name, but Ashley, my friend, Ashley, um, you know, she, she never played a tabletop role-playing game before. And what she knew about vampires, she only knew because I have talked about the game off mm-hmm. and on, but really it was more just like, she understood, oh, uh, there's vampires, there's good vampires and bad vampires being, you know, the Camarilla and the Sabat or whatever. She understood that there's factions and all the supernatural stuff is real. Like she kind of knew that going in. Right. Uh, Uh, And, but I can't take all the credit because she's very smart. And so she was able to pick up on things very, very quickly. Um, 
But what I tried to do in her character background is I, I specifically made her character someone who wouldn't have known a lot about this world or this culture anyway. So I designed it on purpose so that both Ashley and the character she was playing, Alana, could learn more about this world at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that it took a lot of the burden uh, of her to sort of investigate and spend time learning all about this game. Because the expectation is, is that her character wouldn't really know much about it anyway. Right. And like so to kind of like explain what her character was, her character was um, embraced about three years ago. Uh, was was not an approved Camarilla embrace, but she was embraced by an important influential member of the Toreador clan in Chicago. And this individual whisked her away and kind of put her into hiding, um, you know, with an anarch that they trusted. Mm-hmm. And so this person was sort of brought up in the anarch movement. And from day one, it, they were told like, hey, if anyone finds out who you really are, you're going to get smoked. And so am I, your sire. So you have to like be pretensies about who you are at all times. <laughs> so they, for three years, had been living as an alternate identity, and they had been very, very sheltered um, within the Anarch movement. And this character also, um, the the character and the player character also have a physical disability. And you know, my my friend requested that her her character have a physical disability as well, you know, because she wanted to role play someone who had the same physical limitations that she did that she wanted to do that. And so I was like, okay. And so I built that into the story and not that her character was um, shut in by any means, but they did have limitations on their ability to just be out and about in the city and they weren't going to necessarily, you know, so, so I built her character very social where she would have to kind of um, rely on her ability to, persuade others to have presence to have a lot of those very social disciplines to be able to navigate um the world um and and feed but she was definitely cloistered away from the camarilla who would definitely want to see her killed like immediately you know so i i I did that on purpose to make her character very naive just to take the burden off of the player so that they didn't have to quickly try to consume 30 years of vampire the masquerade and so that as ashley was learning her character could also learn at the same time um so i didn't have to do a lot of work in educating her what i did do before the game is um based on the time she had available she was like i can meet you for a half hour before game but i'm an adult with real life responsibilities and i can't give you more time than that rachel i'm already playing this game with you for five hours on a saturday so i was like okay so we met for a half hour. I said, you know, what questions do you have on the the story that you read? And so we chatted through that. She She's like, well, I'm assuming based on X, Y, and Z that I read here, that means this, this, and this. So I, you know, either confirmed or corrected her on that. And then I walked her through the character sheet and what everything on the character sheet was. And, um, you know, but that half hour was not sufficient because obviously when we got to the point in the story where using disciplines was more advantageous or where it became apparent that using disciplines was a good thing to start doing, she kind of like forgot that she had these powers, right? That she had these disciplines. And so we all kind of like worked with her to show her how to use the sheet and how to use the powers. And I think that's really everybody who's creative and who enjoys like stories can kind of get into role playing. But I think it does take some time um, for people to get really comfortable with like 
how and when to use disciplines. And like, I still do that. Like, like um, whenever I'm playing, like I've never played a Tremere specifically because I don't feel comfortable and confident. I'm like, I don't fucking know how to use this. Like, I don't know how to use thaumaturgy. <laughs> right. I don't want to like take all of those, like whatever, like extra things you have to do, even yeah. though it's a really cool clan and a really cool concept. So I think, yeah, whenever you're playing a new clan for the first time, you got to learn how to use the disciplines. If you've never right. played the game before, then, you know, that's also tricky. Um, right. And since I'd never played V5 before, it did take me some time with all of you and all of us collectively, because you were the only person who'd played V5 before, yeah. even though you've never story told it. Um, whenever anyone wanted to use a discipline, you know, all of us kind of had to stop and like look at the book and think about it because they don't work the same way necessarily that they did in V20. Oh, yeah, they so, certainly don't. No. So that was another... And I didn't understand the degree to which that was true until I started building the sheets and specifically until I started building the sheet of the Nosferatu um, player character. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really different. That's super different than V20. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it was a new game that most of us had never played before. And I think that kind of helped too. If you'd yeah. had, you know, five people at the table who were as experienced or more so even than yourself. And then Ashley, I think she would have felt probably at a big disadvantage but because we were all sort of new to it yeah. i don't think it felt so hard for her as a brand new yeah. role player and, and even like the supposed expert at like <laughs> the, the game which i'm i'm not at all i'm not an expert um even i was like screwing up rules calls and i was like wait a minute hold on let me double check that because it's just uh you know v5 is a game that um you know, I haven't had an opportunity to play a lot. I play it with some folks every couple of weeks, but we, we kind of do something a little bit different because, um, one of the things that I, I felt like was a conscientious decision was we just use discord to play the game because, um, a lot of times, you know, like people I play with will use roll 20 and then we'll, you know, we'll do this, that, and the other on discord. And I feel like as, as like longer, longer term gamers, we're okay with using a couple of different things or, you know, learning how to use another platform, but to keep things as simple as possible, we just use discord and we use like a little dice rolling app and that worked perfectly. Um, but with roll 20, you know, everything's kind of built in, you push a button and the sheet does its thing. But it's on the storyteller to learn that, too. And while I was like, it would be cool to do this, I felt like the fact that you were willing to do storytelling over the Internet was enough already. Like, that was a big enough hump. Um, so that's why I was I, I, I was kind of like not super into even suggesting that we use that program, because um, that does take some more learning. Yeah, no, I think. I like Roll20. I mean, I use it in the V20 game that, that you run that we play mm -hmm. in. And I like it. It's a really great tool. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like any tool, it's only as smart as it's the people who are using it. Yeah. And for me, I knew ugh, it's going to be a time investment for me to yes. put in the effort to create it, right? To kind of set up the game on Roll20 and set up whatever. But then also, neither Ashley nor the other person who played had ever used roll 20 to my knowledge actually right. definitely hadn't no. and so then i would be like not only are you playing in this game with me that you know it's taken you years to even get you the slightest bit of interest in <laughs> right. and i'm asking you to use discord which you have an account but you never go on right now i'm also going to ask you to use this other piece of software 
So it was like, not only was it just too much work for me, it was just too much to ask of people who were like, yeah, sure. I'll play in your game Saturday. Well, and also, you know, there's a whole learning component to the back end of it as a storyteller or a game master. Um, You know, I was like, I'll I'll learn this, this roll 20 thing. That way I can be a super cool storyteller and do all this cool stuff. And it is, but it's a time sink. Trust me. It's not overly complex once you get the hang of like the first few things. But like you said, good luck finding the time to do that because it, it's going to, it's going to suck it up real quick. No. Um, yeah. There's, there's totally a learning curve. And, and honestly, like, unless I am rolling a chronicle or I'm rolling, running a chronicle online, mm-hmm. I probably won't use it. Um, you know, I would prefer to storytell in person when mm, that's possible again, yeah, Me too. Uh, which I, I think it will be pretty soon, at least for like a core group of people yeah. um, that, that we're friends with. But, um, pardon me, uh, you know, unless someone's like, Hey, Rachel, we really want you to run this Chronicle online for 10 sessions. I'm probably <laughs> not going to put the effort into right. doing it. And I don't think anyone would ask me to run any stories anytime soon, nor would I accept. Well, so, um, all that considered, um, were, were there any issues that you had like, um, or that concerned you about running a game with like someone who's a bit more experienced, and people that aren't as experienced, like, were there any like concerns you had with that? Because you know, as well as I do, sometimes folks like me who've been doing it a long time can get real pushy. Um, so was that a concern or was that anything that you had to like overcome or was it just not an issue? Oh, no, I think this is um, a very good question, Nate. And uh, it's very insightful. It's almost as if we live together. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not leading this podcast. What are you talking about? Um, (laughs) Yes, it was something that occurred to me. Um, And this was my own insecurity with the the game. So I was new to V5, only played it twice, I think, at cons. Um, so, and, uh, you know, I'm familiar ish with all of the rules and the setting and the changes, but it was still like a new game for me, really all things considered. I probably hadn't thought about rolling hunger dice for at least, you know, a year and a half, maybe Mm -hmm. two years. So there, there was a lot of insecurity. Um, I don't regularly story tell and I'd never kind of written my own one shot before. So that was all new to me. And I didn't feel like super confident in anything I was doing because it was the first time I was doing it. And then I kind of let that insecurity for sure affect the way I interacted with you during the game specifically. I I didn't really have any issues about like Ashley. I knew she was going to have fun. And like any questions she had, I'd probably be able to answer them. I didn't have any concerns about that. Um, I just like wanted everybody to have fun, but I did kind of allow it, this insecurity to allow how I interacted with you. And my assumption was, I was very defensive because my thought process was incorrectly like Nate knows a lot and he knows everything. So if I deviate or I get anything wrong, he's going to call me out on it, which is not your personality. I don't know why I was concerned about that. But I was, and it was because of my own insecurity. And so almost like any time I would, like at the at least the first hour, probably, anytime I would like say anything or um, do something that would deviate from the established lore, or if I would kind of make up something ad hoc, I'd always preface it by like, 
okay, Andy, I know that you're going to know that this isn't the way it's supposed to be, but this is what we're doing. You know, like, for example, I think when I was writing Ashley's character, um, it made sense for her character to live in a upper middle class, more affluent area. And she was living with Anita Wainwright, who is an anarch, uh, who is sort of like a kind of like considered a baron of Chicago on the south side. Right. Not really, but kind of like the Camarilla kind of lets her think that she is to some degree. I think that's that's what I got anyway from the, the lore. And um, where she lives is Riverdale, which both in the game and in real life are is a place that most people don't want to go. And the reason why she's allowed to occupy Riverdale is because basically the Camarilla doesn't want it. They don't think it's like a good feeding ground. They don't really have a vested interest in the area. It's kind right. of like, it's a very um, impoverished area. But that didn't work for the character I had written for Ashley. So I was just like, I started off, I was like, okay, so we're in Riverdale. And I was like, okay, and Nate, I know that you know that in you know Chicago by night, it's written this way, but for the purposes of our game, it's going to be an upper middle class, <laughs> semi swanky area. And you're like, okay. But then I kept doing that. <laughs> like, <laughs> you I don't you did it a few times. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, okay, I Nate, I know that you know that, you know, the CTA line, whatever, and that it takes this long to get here. But yeah. for purposes of our game, it's going to take a shorter, you know, or just, but, like, I can't think of a specific example. Yeah. I, I think that that's, that's a really good thing to bring up, though. I, I, I think that doesn't exist within a vacuum, right? Like, it's not just like you came about that concept apropos of nothing. Like, there are plenty of people and plenty of opportunities when you run a game where certain people will do that to you. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's something that, like, if, if it had never happened, how could you even assume that, right? Because the truth mm -hmm. is, I don't know diddly squat about Riverdale. It's, it's certainly not something I know enough about for me to be like, you you know. And, and that's a thing that happens a lot, I think, in games based in and around reality and probably less in fantasy games as, as far as like a setting is concerned. But yeah, I mean, people will be like, well, you know, there's actually a bus stop on the corner of, you know, 75th street and, and 22nd. And you're like, y yeah, but you understand like, this isn't the real world, right? Like this is right. my game. I think I have been, I have personally been well actually so many times mm -hmm. um, by like neck bearded nerds. And I've seen it happen so much that it's yeah. hard to, unwire your brain from being defensive when you're new at something yeah. in a very like monitored space. That should right? be, Where that should are... be a show we develop. Honey, I married a neck beard <laughs> and like, <laughs> it's, just, and, it's be like tons of well actuallys. Right. And what I kind of showed my own inherent bias because yeah. I like assumed that you were going to be like that with me because you knew more, but like, I know you personally, I know you would never do that. So that is something to be mindful of. I think both for people who are players that are maybe more technically experienced than their storyteller, but also for storytellers, like don't try, try, try really hard not to assume that people are going to constantly be like monitoring your knowledge level yeah. and that they're out to well, actually you all night. Well, I think it's an important lesson for both the storyteller and the player. And, um, there was something that I said to you, I don't remember exactly, but I'm going to try to paraphrase it, but, but it's something that I stand by now as a player and, and I've stood by it for a couple of years when I'm a player in your game, I may have, 
all the advanced knowledge and I may know how every little thing in the world works. But once I sit down and game starts, all that information no longer matters because I'm sitting down to play in your story. I'm sitting down to join you in the act of imagination. So when things are different than what I know them to be, that doesn't matter. They should be different, right? All of these tools are just guides to help us to tell a better story, not to confine us within you know the, the parameters of a specific story. There, it's just colors to paint your picture with. So, right. and, and that was something that, you know, I mean, I, I don't feel like you needed to be told that, like, I'm not like, Oh, if she didn't get told that she, you know, but, but I feel like it's an important lesson for everyone to, to remember, but not really storytellers for players, because we can be some of the most like menacing and, mm-hmm. and toxic people that prevent new people from getting into the hobby when we tell I them how they should tell their story. Yeah. No, you're right. I don't think I've ever played in a game at Gen Con where someone at the table didn't well actually the storyteller mm-hmm. who like probably that's the sixth game they've run that day, you know, like, right. you know, like who's just working the con, right? I don't think I've ever played at a game where they didn't well actually that storyteller either on the rules or on the lore mm-hmm. of where they were at. And that even happened on like homebrew games where the setting and the mechanics were totally made up. You know what I mean? So (laughs) it's like, I feel like there's always somebody at the table in my experience who knows more than you and who isn't going to be shy about like making sure that you do it the right way. And, you know, like, I guess that's important if you're trying to, you know, man a submarine, Right. Less important if you're trying to play D and D. You know right. what I mean? Like, right. right. <laughs> well, and I, I think it, it uh, it's another another good point is there is a way to be inquisitive about what you're experiencing without mm-hmm. without making people feel like they're wrong. You know that whole well actually thing um, doesn't really to me that doesn't belong at a table uh because it, it is disruptive and it does take away the the storyteller's power of being able to actually run their story but i don't think it's a difficult thing to do to go hey storyteller hey rachel is this common like is this something you know oh that torridor um you know they're they're making you know, they're, they're whatever insert random thing that they're doing. That's different than what the Torador would do. You know, my, I'm like heavy air quoting here, you know, is that normal for this game? Because that's not necessarily what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. I think that is a better conversation to have than to go, well, actually the Torador do this, you know, a does B and B does C it's, it's collaborative. It's not right. a right and wrong way to do it. But anyways, um, I, I, I think that um, uh, it was, it, I think you handled it pretty well. I think it, it happened a few times like on the reverse, but I wasn't insulted by it because, you know, I, I feel like my role here as someone who's been playing this game for a long time or just gaming for a long time is to be supportive, you know, not to like, I'm not going to take insult when you're like, okay, Nate, like I know, you know, but like, you know, so I, I didn't have an issue with it. It didn't didn't hurt my feelings at all. 
Well, that's good. Yeah. Uh, goal of the night is definitely not to hurt humans. <laughs> right. So um, was this uh, overall a positive experience for you? Is this something that you'd want to do again? Um, is this something you'd want to continue with those characters or, you know, what's next for, for Rachel's storytelling? Yeah. So I really like the characters I made. Uh, so, um, if people wanted, uh, a character for a game, I think, you know, I would be happy for anyone to play those characters, um, whether I'm running the game or not. Uh, I don't, I mean, we're not going to continue this as a chronicle, but I wouldn't be opposed to running the one shot again. What I would do differently in the future is, um, firm up a couple of my, I don't know what, like of my, uh, I kind of I kind of built the story as a little bit of an open world. I made it too sandboxy for a one shot. I think I need like to um, one one piece of advice you gave me was was you know try and have the goal that we I wanted the characters to accomplish by the end of the night make it more possible for them to accomplish that goal and then have it be really impactful. Like the way I was I was planning it was like okay, there's this flash drive you get from this mysterious Nosferatu and the Baron wants you to find out what's on this flash drive. She would do it herself, but she's been called to Gary to look for juggler who is the Baron of Gary and he's missing. Um, so she needs you to do it. And uh, oh, also the second inquisition is happening and we're all worried that if you open this flash drive, that it will bring inquisitors upon us. So we need you to find this. We need you to find a way to open it, um, uh, probably there are a couple of handful of Nosferatu in the city who could do it no problem, right? Um, so making it easier for people to figure out how to do that, and then also um, when they do accomplish that goal, hopefully um, make that information like whoa, like have that kind of mind yeah. blown blowing moment at the end. Um, and unfortunately. I put out maybe too many red herrings and you guys started chasing something that <laughs> wasn't something I necessarily wanted you to chase. And then I had to kind of like improv and make up a lot of stuff to get you back on track to where I wanted you to be in order to just get the goddamn flash drive open. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was able to do that, it was like clock was ticking. People had to go. It, we couldn't keep gaming forever and ever. And then I had to kind of like wrap up the story and what was probably not the most satisfying way. But, um, yeah, so. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, some of the advice that I, I gave you was, um, my opinion on this has changed a little bit over the last couple of years, but I feel like if you're going to run a like single session, one shot game, it should be a bit more linear. It should be, you know, you should have maybe three or four scenes that you've kind of worked out in your head. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, you should, you know, make efforts to sort of guide your players um, towards at least the the climax. You know, I, I feel like it should be like a self-contained episode of a television show, right? You have mm -hmm. whatever your crisis situation is, and that introduces us to, you know, the scenario. And then you have the bulk of it, which is your character sort of trying to work against the clock or, or you know, 
just work to get the problem solved. And then you should have your big climax, whether it's a success or a failure. You know, I definitely don't believe that every story should be a success. I think failure is still a very good story. Uh, you know, it's a very good type of, of conclusion to a story. And then, you know, kind of like the, the ending, like how all the characters were affected. And I think you did a really great job at writing in, characters and scenarios and and little um little elements to your story that would have been great for a chronicle like there was you know you definitely were thinking on like a more like uh, you know macro kind of scale you were thinking big yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that but i think that you know it it's it's not even like you made a mistake it's your first time so who cares you know as long as everybody had fun and no one you know came away from it going well that was stupid and annoying or what whatever um i think it was great but you know if you're going to do more of those like single session games i think it certainly should be more contained and i've always complained about like you know linear stories but if your story is designed to conclude in 4 hours like and, 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 you know, you are a beginning storyteller or it is going to be used by beginning storytellers. You probably want it to be a bit linear so that it's actually a story, right? Right. Like a chronicle is meant to roll out over time so that your players can explore every aspect or whatever and, and follow plot as it makes sense during the sessions. But mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, just beat, beat, beat. I think in a one shot or a two shot session, it should be more, you know, beats that you're following. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I don't think that's a mistake. I think that it's just, you know, you're new to the storytelling and you, you had an ambitious story you wanted to tell. And yeah, it can be a little bit difficult when you don't leave yourself like guide poles. Also, yeah. you learned a valuable lesson. That valuable lesson is if you describe it, your players are going to chase it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a good example of that is you drive past this building and as you drive past, you hear a whisper that, you know, emanates from all around you. Well, me as a player, I'm immediately going to be like, stop this damn car. What the hell was that whisper? I never experienced that before. And it could be that you as a storyteller are just trying to like give an example of like how creepy and haunted the whole city is. Right. But now I, I don't know that. I think that that's, there's. Like, that's a story. I got to go find the story. And you're like, I didn't write anything. I just pulled that off the cuff. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you do want to, like, really be aware that whatever you describe, your players are going to go after. You know, if the big bad magician has a cool ring and you spend too much time describing that ring, your players are going to try to steal that ring. <laughs> like, they're going to want to know what the hell is up with that ring. So, um, but yeah, I mean, these are all things that you learn and hopefully they help you to improve, you know, the, the art quote unquote of running tabletop games. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think I did okay. Yeah. Um, I think you did pretty I, good too. I think, uh, I think it was fun. Um, I would like to run the story again, actually. I would like to do another one shot. I want to become more familiar with V5 so that I feel a little bit more confidence in, the importance of hunger dice when you're rolling like messy criticals and things like that. And one thing that I thought we were going to do, but we didn't have time for, because that's just not how the story went was eating. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of wanted to have 
give people the opportunity to do a feed scene if they wanted to, but I need to think about if, if this were to be a one shot again, like building more air in the room so that could be done, like yeah. making a bigger buffer. Um, if that's a thing that people want to do. Yeah. And, uh, um, did you find like going into the like established canon, the plot, et cetera, of the game, was that intimidating or was that more like a helpful tool, um, to run your story? Yeah, I actually found it to be a helpful tool. I could see how it would be intimidating because if you look at like all of the new Chicago books for V5, I mean, there's like what, three of them? Yeah, I think so. There's the Chicago by Night, the um, the Chronicles. Um, I, I don't know. I'm blanking because I just woke it, up from it, a nap. It doesn't matter. There's a lot of books. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's a, a lot couple, of, couple of three, you know, two, three. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of city source books mm-hmm. for Chicago, right? In addition to your main vampire, like core yeah. book, right? Yeah. So, potentially you could have five books to reference. And, and I think that that could be challenging for people if you go into it thinking like, I have to know all of this, but I never felt obligated to know all of it, but I did find it nice for inspiration. I looked at that the same way I look at inspiration for, um, well, like maybe the same way you would use a movie that you really liked or a TV show that you really mm-hmm. liked as inspiration for building your character. Right. Right. You're like, Oh man, John wick is really cool. I would like to build a vampire that was like John wick, you know, or like mm-hmm. something, you know, or Blake, you know, what, pick whatever, right. pick whatever superhero. Um, and so it was great for inspiration and it gave me a lot of ideas. Like when I wasn't sure where to start or, um, like what I wanted my characters, how I wanted my characters to be in the city. It was nice. Cause when I, when I'm like, well, I think I, I think, you know, I want Nate to play a Malkavian. So let me look in the Malkavians in Chicago and just flip through and see if I get any inspiration. And, and it did, it provided a lot of inspiration and just knowing about certain areas of the city and stuff like that. So I think as long as you go into it, um, not thinking that you have to know everything or use everything and that everything is like fluid. You could make it up, right? right. Like we could have played the same game and like Seattle. I know really nothing about Seattle other than where it is on a map. Right. Um, and there's a space needle and I've been there twice. I know really nothing about it. Right. right. So I could, we could have had this whole game take place in Seattle. Same story. It's just a different skin. Right. right. So um, it's just nice for inspiration. Yeah. And I agree with you on that. I think that um, definitely like lore a game with like a deep meta plot, it can be a little bit jarring for new people, but I think it's important to remember exactly what you said. Like it's, it's only meant to be an inspiration for the story that you can tell in your own game. And, you know, Anita Wainwright could have been any, you know, anarch leader, uh, you know, and, and, there were there were characters that we interacted with that I honestly don't know if they're like canon characters that are like in a book or you made up. I I have no idea. You know, we we encountered. I actually think I made up everybody else except for Anita and Gerard. Uh, the only two uh, canon and, characters. And Damien. Oh yeah, but I was not expecting Damien <laughs> right. to come in. I just right. knew Damien was a, a canon character. And I was just like, and I if you remember, I even asked you, I was like, Nate, who's uh, the sheriff of Chicago now? Is it Balthazar? <laughs> right. yeah, You're like, right. it's Damien. I'm like, and hold, please. 
Right. And, and well, that, that's the point. Like I, I have, I have run, like I've run whole games with you where I've introduced like three characters that were in a book and everybody else was just characters. I came up with either off the top of my head or I was inspired from somewhere else um, because we're not obligated. We're not beholden to the plot in the book. It's the other way around. Mm-hmm. We use that to help to tell our stories. Anyways, I think I think it was a great game. I think you did a great job. So I think storytelling can be intimidating, but just do it. It's like everything else. You know, you're never going to build confidence in your ability to do it unless you actually do it. Um, and so reading about a thing and understanding how to do a thing is very different than actually doing the thing. Um, so the only way to get good at something is to do it. So yeah. I guess just kind of push past that, your insecurities and, and just do it. And if you're more confident and comfortable and maybe running a story for a group of new players, then, um, you know, maybe find a game that is brand new to your gaming group and, and choose to run that rather than, you know, like maybe you got 1% of the table who's been playing, you know, D and D for 10 years and everybody else is new, including you. Maybe that's not the game you want to start off with, but there's tons of cool role-playing games. I feel like coming out every year that have cool art and interesting rules. And, um, you know, there's tons of research resources online, lots of uh, gentlemen out there uh, make YouTube videos about how to get started on things. So you can always, <laughs> you know, reference the interweb. So um, yeah, I would say just, just, just get dirty, get in there. Um, and then I think, you know, I had uh, one thing I would like to revisit is you had me on a podcast a few weeks ago and I was talking about how I didn't like the character creation in V5. Mm-hmm. I'm going to dial that back a little bit. I still think it, there are parts of it that are really not super intuitive, especially when you get towards closer to the end where you're almost done and you're working in the merits and flaws and the lore sheets. There's some of that that like as, as much as I want to try to be a blank slate, I can't. I think it's done better in the previous edition. And I don't like that. But I think a lot of the issues I was having early on was just like I hadn't built characters enough. By the time I got through the third character and I was building some stats for my NPCs, I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. And actually, I think it really is in a lot of ways much, much simpler than B20. There's a lot less math to think about. But I don't think it's presented in a very concise manner. So I I think... I agree I with you. My, my criticism is still kind of like the same, like, eh, it's not great, but it's better than I gave it credit for at first. And I, I it's like, I see what they were trying to do. Yeah. I, I just don't think the execution, um, it seemed, okay, you look at V5 as, oh, as a whole, the book, it's a very big undertaking. It's really hard to make a book like that. And there are a yeah. lot of cooks in the kitchen and a lot of people were trying to make something awesome that they were really excited about. I think they did a great job. I think that this book suffers from what a lot of other game books suffer from to one degree or another is it's not laid out really, really, really well. Um, And, and I think that the character creation, although is a bit simpler than earlier editions is perhaps not laid out as well as it is in those earlier editions. Well, and I think that they did something um, that was really interesting for the, the game, which was like kind of giving people a little bit more, like clear options, like different ways that you can build the character. Like 
it seems a bit more customizable for, you know, the new player who goes, Oh, like if I want to play a character kind of like this, I can do a, B and C. But I think that the big issue is how that book is laid out. I just don't think it is. I think that's the one really negative thing about that book is that all of those ideas added into that, that world or that character creation process are awesome, but there needs to be a better way to present that information to the player or to the storyteller. Also, I kind of have a little bit of an issue with a sort of inconsistency in the way that actual like rules are presented. Like you, uh, you could do this like five different ways, whatever. I feel like having just like one clear way of doing things, you know, uh, I think a great example of that is initiative, right? Like mm. there's like three different ways to roll initiative. And I, I, I feel like that is, uh, you know, that's unnecessarily complicated. I think having right. one, you know, one specific rule for how to do a thing, while it's not as like freewheeling, I feel like it makes it easier to actually run the game when people don't have to go, wait, what's the rule for that again? And that, that sort of like inconsistency for the sake of creativity is something that a lot of games have been trying to like dip their toes into. And I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a great way of doing things. Um, I, I think it does make your process a bit more confusing because you're always like, wait, what is the rule for this? Yeah. Yeah. That, so that that's challenging. Um, this is just personal preference. I think some of the, the I, I think the way that some of the new disciplines are outlined are really, really cool. Um, one thing like that I can't get behind though, that I really miss is it seems like, and I could be wrong about this. I might be misremembering, but I really don't, I, I don't like it that I think, in order for a Nosferatu to do a specific mask, it has to be an amalgam power with auspects or something. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm wrong, but it just seemed like, I, I don't know. I just feel like <sighs> V20 might be more fun, not because the I'm more used to the rules, but I feel like in V5, and this is by design, you're, they want you to build less powerful characters. Yeah, and that's definitely true. <laughs> it's by design, and it's like... I mean, I get it and that's totally fine. I get what they're going for, but also like, man, I want to play a vampire. I want to play a vampire. I'm not saying I got to be like a trench coat ninja, but like, I want to be able to do some fucking cool stuff. I don't want to like, just be like, you know, like someone whose generation is so high that, you know, mm -hmm. they can smell blood and hear really well, but get itchy when they go out in the sun. Like that's, that's that already happens to me. You know, I already get a sunburn when I go outside. <laughs> like, I don't want to play someone who's just slightly more like just hungrier in a weird way than I am and can smell things <laughs> really right. well. You know what I mean? So it's right. like, I don't want to play like right. a heightened senses version of myself. I, I want to play a vampire. And I feel like some of V5 is like, some of the vampires are kind of weak ass, which I get that that's the point. I get it. I don't want to play a weak ass vampire. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, and I think it's really important that, uh, you know, it's stated here. Like, I definitely enjoy fifth edition vampire, but it's like anything else. There's stuff I like about it. There's stuff I don't like about it. It's not a perfect system and there aren't any. Um, are, do, do I agree with everything that they've done? No. Do I disagree with everything? No. Lots of it I enjoy. Lots of it I like. Uh, now I want to run a V5 game because 
I've been inspired by Rachel, who, you know, has not the experience doing it. And, you know, I feel like I need to put my money where my mouth is. Can I run an entertaining game with 5th edition? I can run an entertaining game with Shadowrun 6th edition, and that's a hot, hot mess. So, yeah, sure, give it a try. It's a game I love. Read the book, put your money where your mouth is, or don't, whatever. It's, it's your world. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, and, like, I chose to run V5. I could have run V20 much more easily, but, like like you said, like, you know, I mean, I've had these books for a long time. I was super excited when it came out. I love the game. I love the story. I'm not, like, pissed off that V5 exists. I'm not, like, personally <laughs> offended by the changes that are made. Right. So why don't I just run that? And so I'm 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 glad that I did. I had a lot of fun um, doing it. And I actually learned a lot about myself within the context of getting together with a group of people and playing a role-playing game. I actually think I enjoy being a storyteller a little bit more than I enjoy being a player because – there's a certain component to being a player that I find boring. <laughs> and I also know myself pretty well. And that like, it's very easy for me to like want to have the spotlight put on me all the time. So I find myself purposefully dialing things back when I'm at a table full of people, because like, I don't want to be the asshole that occupied the storyteller's time all night with all my questions and my character wants to do this, this, and this, and this, and this. It's like, it's not the Rachel show. It's all of our story. So I'm trying to be very mindful of that. But then what happens is that as a result, it's like, I tend to get bored. I tend to get disinterested. I'm like, okay, is it my turn to say or do something? And you know, that's, that's because of a weakness of my personality. I'm a bit of a dickhead. (laughs) <laughs> but I think being a storyteller, I feel like I have to be engaged the whole time because I'm helping people move through this imaginary world that they've decided to be a part of. And so I, I feel very, very active the whole time. And honestly, the five hours, it felt like, you know, 50 minutes, like it didn't yeah. even feel like we were playing for that long. And I was like, oh, I think that that's a sign to me. Like the fact that this flew by is a sign to me that like, this is more of an engaging experience for me. So I think going forward, I probably would like the story film more. Cool. Well, so here's my question for you. If I don't know why I said that, of course, every question I have is a question for you. Um, if, uh, if you, if folks wanted to like see these characters or, or use them, is that something that we could like put up on the Patreon and like, let like people that back us use them? I don't even know if people would give a shit or be interested in that, but I'm just curious if that's something that would be cool or. Oh yeah, definitely. If anyone's interested, you know, I mean, I have three characters that I, you know, I put some work into. I think they're kind of fun. Everyone gave me feedback that they enjoyed the way those characters were written. So um, yeah. And I will just say that, you know, there's some really good ready-made characters books out there, both that have been um, published. And I'm pretty sure, you know, like on, uh, on Storytellers Vault, there's probably also some. So it's like, if you're like, if you kind of just want to jump in and don't want to create a character, like there's resources out there, but I'm happy to do that. And I think it's, I think it's, that's my favorite thing is to build the characters. Like I honestly feel like that's, that's where I kind of got tripped up is like, I built the characters and then I was like, then I thought about the story. I think if you're going to story tell, you kind of have to kind of do them either at the same time or do them backwards or know what the story is. So that if you have players at the table who are building characters, you can kind of be like, eh, I mean, you could do this, but maybe you want to consider adding this into your background. 
Yeah. So, I, I think um, it's a really important thing too. Like when you, you know, if you're running a Chronicle and you're not like making characters for your players, which in most Chronicles, you won't be making characters for your players. I do think it's important as a storyteller to help guide them to an appropriate coterie, you know, or an appropriate pack or an appropriate cult, whatever, so that they do have, you know, kind of complementary abilities to function through the story. You know, and for some, like, you know, I, I tend to be a very, like, sandboxy storyteller, like, hey, you make whatever, and that's the world. Um, but I don't think that that's necessarily the right way for everyone to run their games. You know, there's no one, like, universal truth. Um, and that's, I think, the real benefit of, of these types of games is that you can do however you want. But that being said, if you are interested in seeing these characters or using them um, and you do, you know, back us on Patreon, let me know and we'll go ahead and we'll upload them, you know, and you can download them and use them for your game or do whatever you want with them. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Uh, anything else you'd like to add, Rachel? Mm, no, I had I had fun. Cool. I, I had fun, I kinda, too. Yeah, I kind of. I kind of want to do it again soon. I want you to do it too. Um, And I'm looking forward to like doing it at a table again, because honestly I love playing with my friends and I love that we have this resource, the internet to, you know, do all this chatting and recording, but um, yeah, definitely we're going to have to like make our um, double shot tabletop group. (laughs) Yeah. What I, what I really miss, you want to know what I really miss Hmm. is uh, eating your edge. What do you mean eating my edge? Remember, oh, remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my bowl of edge. <laughs> yeah, maybe you want to add some context to that. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> in sixth in Shadowrun 6th edition, um, edge is like this kind of variable that uh, um, you use tokens for. And one of the suggestions that they had in the beginner box was like, you know, even like a, you know, like a bowl of M&Ms or something. And I did that because I thought it would be a fun little thing. And everyone, everyone ate the edge. And then yeah. I was like, okay, well, you ate all your edge. So now what are you going to do? <laughs> so yeah, it was kind of fun. But anyways, thanks for listening. And uh, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, we'll both be back in like a normal, not echoey room. And like r- right now we're, we're in the same place, but I packed all of my microphones up and we're recording from two different rooms in the same house just because I don't have another microphone and she's using her computer. So I thought I was like 90% sure that we were like the geekiest married couple ever. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that we're talking to each other on two different computers in two different rooms of our house Mm -hmm. really just bumps my certainty up to 99%. (laughs) We we're definitely, uh, I, I would think we are, high on the nerd scale (laughs) high on the nerd scale for sure well cool hopefully you guys enjoy this podcast and we'd love to hear your feedback on you know tips and tricks for um folks looking to run games or folks looking to get into to tabletop role-playing games for the first time and uh thank you for listening and make sure you check out the website 2d10.com for those of you listening if you didn't know i've completely rebranded so I've dropped the long-held Utility Muffin Labs, uh, although you can, I still own the domain. So if you go to utilitymuffinlabs.com, it still goes to the same place. Um, but you know, I figured I do the 2D10 podcast. I have the 2D10 YouTube channel. What the hell is a Utility Muffin Labs? So for ease of use, eh, I dropped it. 
Um, everything else is still the same, same website, um, just kind of rebranding for ease of use. If you like this show, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash 2D10. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for 2D10. You can also support this show and all of my endeavors by backing me on patreon.com slash 2D10. Go to 2D10.com for more info and thanks for listening. After the chime, please say yes.